Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Thinking Aloud About Film. This edition, we're going to be talking about this year's Il Cinema Ritrovato from Bologna, which I attended the streaming edition. So this will be the third year we've covered Ritrovato. The first time we did a, a few podcasts in person at a lot in of Bologna. podcasts in person. So yeah, yeah. Um, which were I think they were they were the first podcasts we did we did together last year. We both attended the streaming festival and we did uh, daily updates, uh, which was seemed like a great idea at the time, and but it was quite hard work. This year, Jose wasn't able to do the streaming, and I did. So we just we thought, but we thought it would still be interesting to do a kind of roundup of the streaming and of, of how the festival worked and of some of the highlights. Yes. Richard has attended quite religiously. I wasn't able to at all, but I'm very eager to find out how it was. I mean, I really wanted to attend, but uh, my, my schedule didn't permit me to this year. How does it compare to last year? How many days was it? One of the key differences was last year, the films were only available for 24 hours. So they had the, every day there was a program of films that started at a particular time and you had 24 hours from that time to watch the film. And so that kind of forced you, if you were going to attend, it forced you to actually experience that day's programme as, as a day's programme. It was quite stressful, um, though. <laughs> it was really stressful. Um, and it, but the, last year, that was kind of doable because last year there was nothing else to do, <laughs> you know, because we were still in, in sort of peak. peak. Well, I think we weren't in lockdown, but places weren't really open yet. You know, cinemas weren't operating, all, all of that kind of stuff. The difference this year is that they... They still launched all the films at a particular time, but then everything was then available until the 3rd of August. So actually, actually everything is still available right. until, I think, next Tuesday. Um, so that that took the pressure off, but it also meant that you you weren't really having a communal um, viewing experience of, you know, everyone's got to watch this film on this day mm. kind of thing. How did the program compare to last year? What was the program this year? What were the you know what were the highlights and what was the distinction between what you could see in Bologna in situ and what was available online? My immediate reaction when the program was announced was it was a bit of a disappointment. Um, what I found last year, I think what we both found last year is that they managed to in the streaming they managed to reflect pretty much all of the strands of the of the real program so you'd have you know one or two films at least of of pretty much every major strand so i think people's expectation was that the, the same would would apply this year and that's certainly the pre-publicity kind of gave that impression and this is a, a criticism i would have is they didn't announce the program until very late and the same applied last year so the the in-person program had been announced you know weeks in advance the streaming program wasn't actually announced until the Friday before the Tuesday when it was going to start, at which point you then had to make the decision, are you going to commit to doing it or not? Um, so they announced it at very short notice. And when you first look at it, I mean, there was you know, 25 films or something, but they, a, lot, a lot of the major strands weren't represented. They were all quite, um, in, in, in the main, quite sort of obscure and esoteric films. So if you were hoping to see you know, some of the major mainstream restorations or some of the George Stevens films they were showing, you know, you weren't, you weren't going to see those. You weren't going to see any Romy Schneider films. Well, exactly. I mean, I wanted to bring exactly those two because, you know, one of the reasons I really regret I wasn't able to go to Bologna is um, watching, watching a place in the sun 
at the Cinémathèque Québécoise is was one of the filmic experiences of my life, really. You know, there's this uh, close-up of uh, Montgomery Clift and Elizabeth Taylor kissing. Yeah, the, the famous, you know, come to mama scene, uh, where, you know, which I've just never forgotten. I mean, they are so incredibly beautiful, you know, and the opportunity to have seen that on a big screen, I, I really, I, I really regret not being able to attend. Uh, and of course, I'm a huge Romy Schneider uh, uh, admirer. I've written quite a lot on her films, and I would have loved to have gone, you know, and picked up on films that I haven't been able to see. So I think those are really major omissions, you know. Uh, I think had I been able to see some of those, I would have twisted my schedule to, you know, to, to, to make the time. Uh, but, you know, having those trends not available and, and being so busy, it was a real yeah, disincentive. Yeah. I mean, re reading between the lines of what was said, um, I think they found it much more difficult this year to get streaming rights for things than they did last year, which I don't think is people being obstructive this year. I think it's more that last year, everyone knew that everyone was in this really difficult situation. Let's pull out all the stops to make sure these things happen. So last year, Ritrovato was tied in with the Cannes Classics, for instance. So they, they got those those restorations to stream. Whereas th this year, I mean, I think partly studios are now much more aware and distributors of all these um, you know, different streaming platforms that they can actually sell stuff to. One interesting thing I noticed is that, um, had, what's, what's the woman's name, the, the, the Hungarian female director? Marta well, Metzoros. Marta Metzoros, yeah. So she, there was a whole strand of her stuff. Uh, or, well, no, there was at least one of her films, uh, The Girl, was was showing at Ritrovato, which has been on movie for, for a few months, actually. I've seen it on there. Two or three of her films have now appeared on BFI Player as well, which are different from the ones on movie. And BFI Player is making a big thing about we're, we've got the world, the, uh, the the UK restoration digital premiere of these films. So it's clearly people are now more aware of the the need for this exclusivity. Well, so I think that I mean, that was one of the problems they had. I know people who work at movie and who go scouting to Ritrovato, you know, for things to purchase and to show. And so so I'm sure a lot of the programming arises out of you know things being shown at Ritrovato and people being able to see them. Um, and, and those people that I'm thinking about were, in fact, in Bologna this year. They actually made it to Bologna. Let's, let's move on to what you did see. And I think I'm going to begin by asking you about films that I have seen, though I must say I've seen this a long time ago, so I won't be very precise in, in my memories. But the first film uh, is Nightmare Alley, the Edmund Goulding film with Teron Power and Joan Blondell. Yeah, mm, uh, yeah, yeah. It's an amazing noir. It's isn't it? it's it's amazing, and that was a really nice new restoration. Um, so yeah, I saw I saw that. Uh, that in fact, that was the last film I saw. Um, and yeah, amazing restoration. A film I'd never seen, and it, it wasn't. The, you know, went in directions I wasn't expecting. I mean, it reminded me of something like I don't know, Wise Blood or something. You know, the the John Huston film. So the yeah, Tyrone Power starts off as a carnival showman, and and. Uh, then gradually becomes, you know, pretends to be a, 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 a psychic, and uh, you know, think he he rises to dizzy heights and then falls. To the, it's a brilliant restoration. This is an interesting thing actually about the streaming rights that it, it does seem that some distributors were not making it that easy for them to get hold of films to stream. But Nightmare Alley and also I think I Wake Up Screaming are both 20th Century Fox films, and there was a 
on the program it said you know grateful thanks to the to the disney corporation so you know disney big powerful corporation got its own streaming platform that they're trying to sell subscriptions to but they let them stream the films <laughs> so that that kind of surprised me but i guess it's probably down to personal relationships that Richard has got with the people involved in the restorations i guess i think there's that but also nightmare alley has just been remade uh by guillermo del toro so i think you know as part of the marketing and publicity for the new version of Nightmare Alley, I'm sure the old version will uh, get uh, a lot of uh, publicity on a re and the re-release uh, as well. Um, the other film that I wanted to ask you about is uh, Esa Pareja Feliz, uh, that happy couple, I think is the English title. It's directed by the most famous filmmakers of the 50s and 60s in Spain, were Luis García Berlanga and Juan Antonio Bardem, uh, they worked, they made films uh, together, uh, Bienvenido Mr. Marshall, uh, a, a great Spanish classic, uh, and they made films separately. I think one that was shown a few years ago in Ritrovato uh, called uh, Death of a Cyclist, uh, you know, very beautiful uh, noir. And of course, Juan Antonio Bardem is Javier Bardem's uncle. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, so here's a little context. And the film stars... Fernando Fernán Gómez, who was also the star of Spirit of the Beehive, uh, you know, one of the key Spanish actors of the 20th century, and also a very famous director in his own right. All of that said, what did you think of it? <laughs> <laughs> it was terrible. No, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, really. I, I, when I started watching it, I was just thinking of all the times that we've We've been talking about a Taiwanese or a, or an Egyptian film, and you've said, "Oh, this just reminds me so much of my childhood in Spain." <laughs> I keep <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, this one you could legitimately say that. <laughs> I keep saying that, but you know, and I only I think I only say that because the films are so good, but also because they, you know, there's something about societies in transition that was my childhood. You know, that the the move from rural. Uh, cultures to modern urban cultures is something that we saw in the Iranian films and it's something that we're seeing in these Taiwanese films so I apologize yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I, I did really enjoy this it was a, it was a very very fun film I mean it's this couple who you know they're 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 scrabbling a bit for for money he's trying to become a radio engineer um, they're living in a rented room in a sublet room in someone's house um, then they enter this competition to be you know Madrid's happiest couple and win a win an amazing day out and of course you know they 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 have this massive row but then they win the competition and you know it's it, but I, I really really enjoyed it. it was great fun and and it it, it actually did remind me of somewhat of those um like this is early 50s isn't it it reminded me of those mid 50s comedies by Shaheen you know was the restoration any good very nice restoration yeah looked look, look really good let's move on now to I wake up screaming yeah, that was great. So that's an, another another noir. So this one was was um, Victor Mature, wrongly accused of of murder. It's the, the kind of classic noir plot. Um, it, it was again a lovely restoration. My criticism would be no one wakes up screaming at any point in the uh -huh. film. So it did feel slightly shortchanged. I enjoyed it. It was a great restoration, but it was kind of you know film noir tick box film you know yeah wow. wrongly accused man shadows um murdered blonde you know it, but yeah very very much worth watching so. i think well i I've, i saw it about 20 years ago so my memory of it is not very good but 
it's a historically significant film and it's very entrancing in many ways. I mean, it's an amazing cast. It's not just Victor Mature, it's Betty Grable and Carol Landis and Laird Kreger, right? That on its own, I think, I think it might be the only noir Betty Grable ever made. Um, and of course, Carol Landis was famous for being her own noir, right? Because uh, she's the actress who committed suicide over Rex Harrison, <laughs> yeah, in the in the 1940s, which actually ruined the first stage of Harrison's career, I think, uh, uh, at Fox. So it's a film that has all kinds of resonances, right? And I think it also, if you're if you're interested in what goes on around the film as well as in the film, and you know, because I think Betty Grable and Victor Mature were a couple at this point. Uh, you know, and Lett Kreger had just given a, a, you know, a series of like really fascinating performances. Uh, and of course, uh, Bruce Humberston is one of, you know, the key directors of, as you say, a certain kind of standard noir, yeah, that, you know, but who, who's done a lot of them, yeah, he is a figure in film noir. So I think, uh, you know, it's a film to see for all kinds of reasons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now we're moving on to territory which I have not seen, any of the others that you have seen. So tell us, kind of, what were the highlights for you? Okay, let me talk through a few of them. So I, I, I'm kind of going in reverse order here, really, but there was a there was a very interesting film called My Cousin, which was a film starring Enrico Caruso. Um, really? A, a silent film starring Enrico Caruso. So you, you know, they that he got a contract, a two hundred thousand dollar contract to make two films, that which was a huge amount of money. And yeah, you, so you've got a famous opera star, you pay him $200,000 to make a silent movie. Can you see any flaws in that? <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, it starts off with um, starring the great Enrico Caruso, and they, they then have some shots of him. Here he is playing Rigoletto, and here he, oh, wow. <laughs> here he is as this, you know, in different costumes. He plays a dual role, so he plays this... Um, this kind of struggling Italian American kind of working class guy, and his cousin is, or he claims his cousin is a famous opera, opera singer, also played by Enrico Caruso. And you know, it, it was it was a fun film, but apparently he so he made he made two films under that contract. The other the other the other ones lost, and they they were both commercial failures, I, I, I believe. But uh, have you yeah. ever seen uh, a Trouble in Paradise, the Lubitsch film? Years ago, I think. Okay. Yeah. Well, if you remember that scene. Where you have the gond at the beginning of the film, where you have the gondolier who's a garbage man. So first of all, the gondolier is a garbage man, and then you know he uh, begins to sing while he works, and he sings "Oh sole mio," <laughs> and that's Caruso's <laughs> voice on the garbage man. Okay, right? like, <laughs> yeah, so, a very Lubitsch uh, touch there. Um, okay, and the, the, you know, so clearly a film that would also be of interest to people to to. Uh, people interested in films about twins or doubles or you have actors playing different roles. You know? Yeah, ex ex exactly. I mean, it's very, you know, it's a very entertaining film, very fun film and, and you know, historically very interesting because I, I presume you're seeing the first screen performance of Caruso. Um, and uh, the, there is a scene where he, um, where the opera singer he's playing is is singing opera and there is, the soundtrack is, at that point, they used soundtrack of Caruso singing. I don't know if that would have been. It may, they may well have done that on original release. You know, played in a, um, a, a record of Caruso at that point. I don't know. All right, and that's from 1918. So um, hmm. next. Um, so what else we got? So let's talk about another. So another couple of silence. There was an excellent one called La Lesia, um by Andre Antoine, which was a, a kind of French. 
romantic drama about a man who dies for love. It was just ah, this kind of uh, hilarious melodrama. Um, and again, a re really nice uh, restoration. And also the, the other great silent was a thing called Belfagor, which was a, a four part um, silent serial. Um, each part was about an hour, an hour and an hour and 10 minutes. It was all about a, um, a, a daring robbery in the Louvre um, and a, a you know, master criminal and a detective who's a master of disguise. And that, that, that was that was tremendous fun. And it's the, you know, the, 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 the great, great fake moustache work by the lead detective who would every so often whip his moustache off to everyone's surprise. Um, so, yeah, sort of fun. These were kind of fun films that you just wouldn't. You, you wouldn't go out of your way to see, but they were fascinating to see as part of this. You've got um, two Wolfgang Staute films, or Staute mm, films. Uh, yeah, what, yeah. What is that? So Who these are really he? interesting. So he's a he's a German director. Uh, he made films in the in East Germany and also made films in West Germany. Now, so I don't I don't know enough about him. I haven't researched to discover how he ended up doing both those things. There was a, a an extensive strand of his films um, as part of the in-person festival, and what was nice is this is one where we actually got two films by him in in the streaming festival, uh, which was shown in the wrong order. Which is you know, so we we got this kind of color West German film shown one day, and the following day was it was a black and white um, East German film from 1945. Um, so to take those in the right order, the the the, the East German film was was really fascinating from a historical point of view. It's called The, uh, the Murderer is Among Us. It's from 1945. And it was the, apparently it was the first feature film to begin production in East Germany after the end of World War II, and apparently started pre-production even before the end of the war. Uh, it's, it's about a, a, and it's very film noir. I mean, it's kind of, kind of very expressionist. This, this guy, this, this woman, sorry, arrives back in Berlin from uh, she's been in, in a concentration camp and goes back to what was her flat and finds it's being occupied by by a by a man um, and they end up kind of having to cohabit in in this in this flat transpires he you know, clearly he's a he's a a german man in his 40s so clearly you know clearly he was involved in the war he was a he's a doctor um and he's you know refusing to practice as a doctor at this point and you, you 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 gradually find out you know what he did during the war and what he witnessed during the war and the kind of revenge he's trying to get against um, people that perpetrated some atrocities. So he, he effectively he was yeah he was a doctor working at a unit of, of of German soldiers during World War II. The commanding officer ordered a massacre of civilians that he had to witness. He then meets the meets that commanding officer who's a, a successful businessman, you know, successful avuncular family man. Then you see these flashbacks to him ordering a massacre of civilians. So it's very very interesting. I say right made right at the end of the war. So, okay, great, yeah, fascinating. And uh, the second one. So the second second one was called Rose Bent, uh, which I, I think you you, well, you you'd love both of these. But Rose Bent was this kind of glossy color, Douglas Sirk esque melodrama with a, a male lead with a male lead who had a bit of a look of Burt Lancaster about him so oh. I, think you'd, yeah, I can highly recommend this for you <laughs> um, them up now. <laughs> yeah um, so the, this is a um, so this young woman Rose Bent is is uh, kind of a maid on a farm and she's being you know lusted after by various people and so she has a, a fling with the Burt Lancaster lookalike guy she's being you know her boss is trying to 
get her into bed and may and her mother or her father's trying to marry her off to this kind of um middle class farmer guy and, and then then she gets pregnant and you know all all, all all of this kind of stuff it's uh yeah huge, hugely enjoyable film and, and this was a, again i need to read up more about shout but th this was the first film he made in the west um so how, as i say how he ended up going from making films in east germany in 1945 to making films in west germany in the mid 50s I, i'm not i'm not sure uh, that'd be interesting to know there are a couple of other films that have interesting titles that i want to ask you about so what is the man who had his hair cut short so this is a, a Belgian film by Andrew Delvaux. It's about a, it's a very, very interesting film. Uh, it's kind of a surrealist um, comedy drama, I guess. So it, this is kind of in three sections. The first, the first sequence, um, this guy, well, it starts off, he goes to the barbers and gets his hair cut short. So it doesn't, <laughs> yeah, unlike I Wake Up Screaming, it does live up to his title because there is a man who gets his hair cut short. So he gets his hair cut short. Then he, he's kind of working in a school and it's like leaving day in the school. And he, he goes goes to the school and it's clear he's got some relationship with one of the girls who's leaving the school. It's unclear whether they're actually in a relationship or he just liked them to be in a relationship. Uh, I mean, she's clearly supposed to be 17 18 so it's not it's not as dodgy as, as it may sound um so there's this long kind of comedy of embarrassment type sequence in in the at, at this school leaving day where he's trying to talk to this girl and failing and, and this, this, this so this is like the first third of the film then as a result of that him and his family move away because he for some reason he ends up being taken off to do a to witness an autopsy uh, this is some years later so they, they this, this body has been found and he goes off and witnesses the autopsy. Various kind of vaguely surreal things happen there. After the autopsy, they end up spending the night in a hotel. And at this point, he then meets the girl again, who is now a successful actress. Um, and you, you then find the truth of what happened in the first segment. And then then in the final sequence, he's, he ends up in prison. Um, for for murder and uh, gets his hair cut short again and uh, you know it's a, it's, a, it's a fascinating film i'd re really recommend it all right uh so we talked maybe about one more individual film and then kind of move on and see what strands you deduct from the program the other one that i'd like to talk about really is the olive trees of justice by james blue which was a really really interesting film and particularly in, in the context of things like um Shaheen's Jamila the Algerian that we that we saw last year. Um, so this is the the only French film made in Algeria during the Algerian War of Independence. Um, although the you could argue about to what extent it's a French film because it presumably it was funded by French production company, but the James Blue is American and the cast and crew are all Algerian. It's about a family a family of french origin in algeria they've been farmers the father the farm went bankrupt and they're now living in the city um the central character is is, is this young man who's who the, the son of the father who's come back from france because the father is ill um and basically the father you you learn at the start of the film that the father dies that day so you you get all these scenes filmed in, in algiers during the war of independence um and a lot of it is kind of like french new wave or or or, or, or neorealist that it's all seems to be filmed on the street with people just looking at the camera you know that it's clearly just documentary style footage 
and you see a lot of soldiers with guns and people being searched and you know this is presumably I, I don't know were, were those so were those real soldiers or were they actors you know were they were those searches real I suspect they were real so all, all that footage is kind of documentary style footage but then you get these flashbacks to the boy's childhood um, and, and and at that point it's much more kind of it's filmed in a very different style you know it's, it's, it's very kind of nostalgic for this kind of idyllic childhood he had and essentially he has in his childhood he has friends who are children of the muslim workers on the father's farm and then in adulthood he meets those uh, muslim guys as adults and there's all this kind of well are they, are they terrorists are they freedom fighters this kind of thing so fascinating film it was apparently banned in france and may well still not be shown in france i, I, I don't know because they they really don't like to talk about the algerian war of independence but yeah very fascinating film and i, and I learned this it's the only fictional film that james blue made but i learned this morning from a post by michael jasper on, on facebook that um james blue directed the March, which is the the famous documentary of the the Martin Luther King March on Washington, so the the famous documentary footage of that is filmed by the guy that made the Olive Trees of Justice. Oh, how wonderful! I was so, thinking yeah. that there was another film made during the Algerian War, which is an Alain Cavalier film called L'Insoumise with uh, Alain Delon. But I realise now that actually the film was made in 1964 and the Algerian War ended in 1962. So yeah, yeah, you're yeah. quite right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any other strands of programming that caught your eye? So I think there's, I just touch on a couple of others that were interesting. One was a film called Arab-Israeli Dialogue, which is a, a documentary by Lionel Rogosin, who's an American director. Uh, there were two films by him on show. I didn't get around to watching the other one. This was just a 40-minute film, and it, it was a, essentially a dialogue between a, an Arab writer, from Pal a Palestinian Arab writer, and an Israeli writer. Um, and it was two, essentially just two guys arguing in a basement, but kind of a, intercut with silent kind of documentary footage of of Palestine and of Israel. And, and that, that was, I, I just found far more fascinating than that, that description makes it sound. It was just, a, yeah. Um, the, the other thing, the other one that was very interesting was a film called Kumati, which is an Indian film by Govindan Aravindan. And this was a, an amazing restoration by the World Cinema Foundation of a it's kind of magical realist Indian film from 1979, uh, uh, sort of focused on a small children in an Indian village. And uh, Kumati means bogeyman, and they, there's this this mysterious man telling stories who may or may not have magical powers. And it's quite a realistic film. Until halfway through the film, he just turns all the children into animals. Uh, one of the things <laughs> I wanted to ask you, because the film really stands out in your list as almost the only non-European film, really. Yeah, so, uh, you know, the list is either American or European, and, you know, then you have Kunmati. Uh, has that, is that typical of the programming this year? That, it's typical of the streaming programming this year, ah. yes, which is a shame, because there was a lot of, um, I mean, they normally have, you know, the Cinema Libero strand, and a lot of non-European stuff was showing in Bologna and wasn't available on, on, on this. So, so yeah, I, I mean, the, the, the list I gave you is, is, you know, essentially the list of films that I watched and enjoyed and had something to talk about, but the, the, so there were a few things not on this list, but there, there was, there were no other, there's no African cinema, you know, right. no, no, uh, no, Latin no, no, other no, yeah. no, which, yeah. Was, is was it atypical shame. of Bologna uh, normally? Yeah. Well, it, it is. And as I say, that's because it doesn't reflect the, 
the actual program. I, I, th I think, you know, my suspicion is there's a little bit of a bias here towards films that were restored by the Cineteca di Bologna, um, because clearly it's easier for them to be able to get the, the, the rights to show that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, any other general reflections on this? Year? So, I, I think it was, you know, it was it was an interesting experience. I was, I'm glad I did it. I, I can. It was more difficult to engage with this year, partly just because of, you know, ev everyone has more things to do this year. Um, there were elements of it that were a little bit um, annoying from an organisational point of view. So, the first one was how late they they announced the program. It really felt like an afterthought, you know, how late they announced the program. They didn't even announce until that Friday how the timing was going to work, you know, to, that you were going to have two weeks to watch everything. I mean, people need to, you know, you, you, people do need to plan their lives a little bit, right? Um, the All of the lectures and panel discussions were also available by streaming. But there were some issues with those. I, I watched, a, I started watching a, an interview with Jonathan Coe about his uh, book about Billy Wilder um, and the um, the Italian introduction and the questions by the Italian interviewer weren't translated into English by the audience, for, for the audience. The, the, the translator kind of whispered the English translation into Jonathan Coe's ears. Then he'd answer in English and she'd then get the microphone and translate his answer into an Italian, which I just found that quite painful. There were others where, where the, you know, it was only, you know, the panel was in French and a bit of English. And so you, you could kind of follow it. If you're there in person, you'd have simultaneous translation. So they hadn't really thought through how to make that accessible. But there's an interesting thing that I, I noticed that if you bought the um, one of the higher level passes, you know, the supporter passes for the in-person thing, you also got access to the streaming. So that's perhaps, you know, will they carry on with this? I don't know, but it, perhaps, you know, in future, if you, I don't know, if you could pay an extra 50 quid, 50 euros and get access to some of the films for a week after the festival to stream, maybe, maybe it'd work. Um, and also, of course, you know, if they stream those things, you know, there is a way of captioning everything quite easily if you just delay it a, a day or so. Yeah, ex exactly. Because I've certainly seen some festivals like I think Safar and, and the WOW Film Festival, you know, the, the live Q&As were all over Zoom and not captioned, obviously, but they would then make an accessible version available a couple of days later. Yeah. So so it is doable. It's So I, I think, you know, overall... Um, I think it was an enjoyable experience. I felt I'd got, well, if you look at it strictly as a, did I get 50 euros worth of films out of it? Depends how you look at it. If you compare it to paying for an individual stream of a film, then yes. If you compare it to paying 10 quid a month for movie, then no. But I think you have to not view it as purely a financial no. transaction. It's a way of supporting support a major yeah. uh, uh institution and a major resource and a, and a and a major cultural good throughout Europe and beyond so yeah because I, I know that la this year as I understand it they had half the number of attendees in person that they would have on a normal year last year it would have been about a quarter I guess but in addition because of social distancing they needed double the number of cinemas so their costs have presumably significantly increased while their revenues gone down so I, th I think you know it's it needs, you have to not it just see it. It needs support, and I, and I would stress, in case anyone's worried that I'm criticising Jose here, I'm not because <laughs> last last year Jose bought the expensive supporter pass, which is 100 euros, and I only bought the normal pass, which is 50 euros. So we've we've each supported 
yeah. the festival to the same amount each. <laughs> it's just it took me two years to do it. Yeah. While I enjoyed this experience, I would much rather have been yeah. there in person. And I hope that next year we'll be there in person and yes. we'll be able to sit there over an Aperol Spritz Absolutely. doing some live podcasts. <laughs> yes, I'm watching wonderful films. Yeah. Um, any last words? Um, I, I'd say I'd like to. Yeah, I think yeah, thanks a lot to the Chinateca for making this available. I, I, I do think the, um, the advent of kind of streaming festivals has made things a lot more accessible to people that, because there are people who would never manage to make it to Bologna, yes. you know, either because of, because of money or because of distance or because of disability or whatever, they or wouldn't time. be able to make it yeah, or time. Yeah, and yeah. And I, I do think all, although it's disappointing that the program this year didn't manage to reflect the entirety of the festival, I think it did give you enough of a picture of the festival and the fact actually the fact that when i looked at the list of films i saw some people saying yes but i looked at this of the films and none of them were films that i actually wanted to see so well i didn't know i wanted to see these films yeah, until i saw them exactly. because i know i mean most of these films i had never heard of i'd never heard of the filmmakers i'd never heard of the, the yeah that's the I, point of going to a festival that's the entire <laughs> point i mean when i go to when i when i'm actually there in bologna i'll generally see a mix of you know, well-known Hollywood films, but then just go and pick a couple of strands of of, of obscure stuff, and that's let's say that's how we saw Shaheen for the first time, right? Um, so, yeah. All right. Um, well, uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we are uh, thinking a lot about films, and we have returned for the third year in a row to Retrovato. So, thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye bye. <laughs> bye.